a listener production. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I see you over there. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to come out wherever you are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So congratulations. You are now a part of this beautiful community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it is only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him, and I am fabulously gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old, and I last came out on Friday in an email to a brand I wanted to work with. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I threw gay in the freaking subject line. I was like, I need them to open it. Sometimes you, you know, out yourself. (laughs) Opportunities will flood to you. That's the end of that story. Today, (laughs) we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Abby. Sure. Abby, can you introduce yourself? Tell us when you first came out and when you last came out. Sure. So my name's Abby Chatfield. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, I would say I'm queer question mark I used to say bisexual but I think last time I came out maybe it was just now as well I feel like it's a very trickling thing for me I was saying to you before it's kind of like I also change how I see myself and how others see me and then I start to question my sexuality Mm. and then it's it's definitely a journey for me Abby Chatfield is arguably one of the most influential people in Australia right now We were first introduced to Abby two years ago when she was runner-up on Matt's season of The Bachelor. And since then, her career has exploded in the very best way possible. She has a podcast called It's A Lot. She's the host of Love Island Australia After Party. She has her own personalized line of vibrators. And she regularly schools her hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram and TikTok about sexuality, feminism, vaccines, mental health, politics, and even maths. And honestly, I'm just so excited to jump into this conversation. Enough from me. Here's Abby. Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? And at that time in history, did you have access to any queer people? Were they in the news? Were they in the press? Yeah. So I grew up in Brisbane and I had a single mom and I actually had uh, my gunkles uh, growing up. So we were very, you know, there was not really any homophobia in my family. It was a ve- My family is entirely women. Yeah. Then we have one straight man, and then we have my gay uncles. Amazing. So, like, they're a couple have been together since before I was born. I think the year I was born, they got together. So they got married recently. So that was kind of the environment that I grew up in. So there was never – it was never me having to work through external homophobia, but there was internalized homophobia. I went to an all-girls school, went to a Catholic girls' school. Okay. So that was kind of where that was placed into me, I guess. And it's something that I still struggle with. I speak to Kath Ebbs about this all the time and, mm. like – Whenever I think I'm getting too close to a woman, I'm like, there's still this like Catholic shame. I had nuns teaching me at school. And that environment, obviously I'm from America where the the public school system is more prominent, Mm -hmm. private school is less prominent, and also same-sex schools a little less prominent, less Mm -hmm. part of the conversation. But when you go to an all-girls school or an all-boys school, even if the school and the foundation is accepting, the conversation about that young people have about like, but are you a lesbian? Wanting to know, wanting to put labels on yeah. people. Well, I remember I, I, there was a tomboy in our grade when I was in grade five, and I think that we used to all sit around and say that she was a lesbian. And uh, tomboy as well is a whole different 
yeah. thing. But I remember we like she just liked sports, and we and this is when I was in like grade five, and I didn't understand. And there's this like this breeding of kids wanting to put people into labels even at ten years old, which is one of my like greatest shames was how we spoke about her. I feel sick about it, but we were friends in high school, so it's okay we spoke yeah. about it. But I think that even if you can have a really progressive upbringing, there are still external environments such as the school you go to that can add pressures and confusion. So, you know, in high school, not, wasn't really, didn't really think about my sexuality, didn't think I'm straight, didn't think I'm bi, didn't think anything, just got with a lot of, uh, a lot of boys. And then when I got out of high school, I met this girl and we became really close friends at this bar that we worked at. And I'd never had feelings for a girl and we were best friends. <laughs> But I think in hindsight, I just was in love with her. <laughs> yep. Best friends. When you're like, we're just, we're just so close. I just love her so much. I just want to be in her skin. Um, and she was going to Europe for a few months. And the night before she's going to Europe, we were all out drinking. And I was sobbing. Like she three months. You know what I mean? Like if your friend's going to Europe for three months, that's not like a normal reaction. Yep. I guess it is for some people. Yeah. But for me, it was much It was deeper. more than her going. Yeah. So then I ended up telling her, I was like, I think I have feelings for you. And she was like, me too. Ooh. And then I fingered her in the bar. And that was... <laughs> yeah, escalated. She's about to leave for three months. You better get that moment <laughs> in. We were kissing. Anyway, then she went to Europe and she came back. And I actually ended up being a bit of an asshole. So then we moved in together, but not as, a, as best friends again. So she went to Europe, yeah. came back, and it was kind of like, this never happened. Mm. I'm still like, I'm straight. You know, I'm still in this, in this mindset. Then we, you know, we move in together and we end up uh, sleeping together one night. And that was the first time I slept with a woman. And I was like, I really, really have feelings for her. But because of that and because of the internalized homophobia, I was a bad person. Yeah. And I, we, after we had sex, I was like, can you go sleep in your bedroom? Because I got this like overwhelming sense of shame mm. and guilt and I was panicked and I really liked her and I had such strong feelings for her. And I think as well... The other thing for me is as I'm getting older, I'm realizing it's less about the internalized homophobia for me. It's about the my issues with intimacy and commitment. And I think growing up with just women, I've always been able to open up to women more wholly. So with men, there's always kind of a barrier, if that makes sense. So with women, I was kind of like, wow, if I'm if I'm with her, this is gonna be a much more intimate, scary thing. Whereas from with a man, I'm always like, you know, of course. A wall up. I mean, there's nasty stereotypes about what it means to be in a lesbian relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, in many cases, they're true. And mm-hmm. and I say the word nasty, meaning uh, we shouldn't have stereotypes about men and women because the reality is everyone's quite different. But mm-hmm. women tend to be more empathetic, mm-hmm. more loving, more open. They like mm-hmm. to communicate mm-hmm. very early on. That's mm-hmm. why oftentimes there's nasty labels of, of women jumping into relationships quite quickly and moving in yeah. and getting married quickly. Mm-hmm. But there's not as much of that barrier, that communication barrier, that romantic, and that can be really scary, especially yeah. if you're used to dating men where it's like, how are you? Fine. Yeah, good, <laughs> good. Okay, how was work? Yeah, it was all right. So what do you do? Like it, like with women and also because you always had the foundation of friendship. And mm. anyway, I, I really, really uh, had strong feelings for her, but I completely messed that up because I was just so, I got a boyfriend a month later because I was like, I didn't particularly like him at all. I think I just freaked out. Anyway, in this period after sleeping with her, I told my mum that I had feelings uh, for Renee. I remember I went, mum was sitting in the computer, I was like, mum, I think I have feelings for Renee. And she's like, like friendship feelings? Yes, that's why I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, that's why I'm telling you. <laughs> 
was like, uh, no, like emotional feelings. Like, like, And she was like, okay. And we just never really spoke about it again. Oh, wow. So it wasn't. That was your first coming out. Yeah. Definitely. I guess I didn't mention that earlier. Yeah. But so it wasn't, it wasn't really. I guess my first coming out was more to my girlfriends who I'm still very close with from that bar job that I had. So but they were all just like, okay, because like they just didn't really care. They were more just like, oh, cool, our friends like each other. And that was it. But mum was just sort of like she blocked it out. Like it wasn't necessarily a bad reaction, but it wasn't a great reaction. It was just like, okay. And obviously now she reads every article under the sun about me. So she knows she just doesn't really. I'm sure if I brought a girl home, she'd be like, hi, darling. Like it's just not really a thing either way which is how mum has always been with everything. And I think that's why I'm so open with sex because people ask me, like, your mum must be this, like, sexual deviant, like, you know, doing Tupperware parties but for dildos. Yes. And it's like, no, it was just that she didn't have opinions either way that she forced upon us. So if I had a question and I wanted to know the answer, I would just ask her and I knew that it would get answered. And if I wanted to tell her something, I was like, okay, darling. Yeah. And it that was nonchalant never. energy. Yeah. I wonder what would have happened if you had said that and it had been a bigger conversation. Mm. Because what I often, what I've been learning over the course of the last couple of months through these conversations is that first interaction, that first time you explore it. If the person is like dyke, monster, <laughs> yeah. going straight to hell, the likelihood that you're going to continue to have that conversation with other people diminishes by every Pretty millisecond. Small. Yeah. But yours is not good or bad. It's like, Eh, it's it, indifferent. I think she, I don't think she was stoked, but I think because like with my, with my uncles, I think she's, she's not a homophobic person. She's not religious. She's not, she's just was like, okay, darling. And I think she was kind of like, a, we'll cross that bridge when yeah. we get to it kind yeah. of thing, which I wonder, you know, if it was a negative conversation, I can imagine it would have been, you know, much harder for me to deal with. But the, I think it would have been nice to have a positive and open conversation. Sure. As well, being from Brisbane, people people in Sydney, my friends in Sydney don't really understand how, where are you from in America? Are you from like a small town? Are you yeah, from, really small. So you, like being, there, there are, I can name two lesbians in Brisbane. And I don't, I don't, I didn't have that kind of queer community in Brisbane until I moved to Sydney nine months ago to be yeah. able to talk to people about this. So even in Brisbane, there are two gay bars. And one of them isn't very good. So yeah. <laughs> there's one gay bar that does great drag shows. And but my friends are all my friends are all straight from Brisbane, so they're not gonna come to the gay bar with me. Yeah. Um, so it was hard for me to explore that and understand how I felt. So that's why kind of this year I'm having all these chops and changes because I have now many more queer friends. In fact, I think I have more queer friends than straight friends. Yeah. So it's it's wonderful awakening and the benefits of being in this creative world is that almost everyone has a story in regards to sexuality or their gender identity. So it's been interesting. We have believed for the last decade or so that gender and sexuality are very fluid. Mm -hmm. I think the conversation has become much more popular with the introduction or what I'd like to say, the reintroduction of non-binary, mm -hmm. transgender into the larger conversation, the larger zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. A bunch of people who grew up believing they were one thing have had an opportunity to look at themselves in the mirror again and go, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we've had this new, larger, more exciting conversation about sexuality. And I think you're a really good example of that, which is, it's not so black and white. No, it's and not. And I changed the way that I see myself. Like, I think I came out on my podcast as queer and then I got, and people will tend to then question how legitimate my queerness is because they say I was bisexual because that's the language that I knew 
you know, five, five, six years ago when I kind of came to terms with the fact that as you get into this industry as well, you know, you learn so much more not being, you know, I used to be a property analyst. So that wasn't really the most um, yeah. <laughs> conducive yeah. environment with all these, you know, straight men uh, just being, voting no in the plebiscite. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't exactly queer friendly. Mm. So um, I think since being in this creative field, which I've been so lucky to meet so many people and have language, understand myself, but when I sort of my podcast, I just want to be called queer, people said that then I was adding to biphobia. But I felt that I just want to be more inclusive of non-binary people. And also I felt that the bisexuality label was very 50-50, very 50-50. And every couple of weeks I was changing from, no, I'm a lesbian. No, I'm straight. No, I'm half. Then I'd get drunk and then meet a girl and cry one time, sorry, I'm just going to rant. Just go, 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 go. One time I was at Joel Creasy's comedy show and I brought my a friend, a guy that I was kind of seeing, we're also the best friends, you just sleep together when we're bored, um, and brought him, I got super drunk, and then I saw Norelda Jacobs at the after party. And we love Norelda and she was just with a gaggle of lesbians. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to talk, because I've, I've never dated a woman. So I've only slept with women, never yep. dated women. because. Yep. Intimacy, scary. Okay. So then I went and I left my my friend over in the corner. He was fine with Mitch Cheery and stuff. And then I just had the most amazing night with these women. And then I asked this girl on a date and then I cried the whole way home. This is like six months ago. Because so I was like, I'm a lesbian. Wow. And he was like, you're, you're not though, but it's okay if you are. He's like, if you are, why are you sobbing? He's like, you are so like... He's like, you're the queen of openness and being okay with yourself. But it was something about this, like, panic to add a label yeah. and being like, no, I'm this, no, I'm this, no, I'm this, no, I'm this. And that's why I just said it on queer because I was torturing myself. Yes. The days that I liked women, I was like, I'm a lesbian and now I've been a fraud and I've been, I think it's the idea that I've been denying myself when I've been with men. Yep. That was kind of what I was upset about. I was like, and then the next day I was like, no, I think I'm just, I'm just queer. And that was kind of the catalyst for me on the podcast being like, I need to stop being so, uh, put myself into boxes and I can just be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit queer, you know, it changes. This is so exciting. This is literally the exact conversation I wanted to have. I think it's really important for you and for me to take a, a pretty big step back so that we can understand not just context of, of why it's difficult, because to be honest with you, what you're describing, there are thousands millions of people mm. who have feel that, who have felt that way about their sexuality their mm. entire lives who mm. have felt that way about their gender mm. who have been really annoyed by but tripped into boxes too early during their journey expected to understand everything while they're exploring yeah. and then later in life people thinking well you're supposed to figure that out when you're 13 yeah now that sure, you're in your 20s or 30s we're going to need some know? answers yeah. yeah and it's and and to be honest and I want to go here the worst enemies are usually within the queer community mm. to attack you for not yeah. understanding. Yeah. But I feel like when I listen to you talk, obviously, big fan. <laughs> so I hear all the words coming out of all the mouths <laughs> on all the medium formats. And we have a lot of similar friends in common. Yes, we do. It reminds me a little bit, and I don't mean this to be offensive. I mean this in the most beautiful way. Mm. Oftentimes, oh, I'm so excited to say this because um, <laughs> I've just like never thought about it like this before. But I'm wondering if like, so for most straight people, there's no coming out. Coming to terms with your sexuality is puberty. Mm. You go through puberty, you like the opposite sex, that's mm -hmm. it. The world functions that way. Mm -hmm. You live in a home mm -hmm. that further pushes that, uh, reinforces that mm -hmm. that's the way the world works. You don't have to like lose any sleep at all. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily go through an exploratory phase. Maybe you kiss a girl when you're drunk at a party and it's like, mm -hmm. woo, this is yeah, so woo. fun. 
for gay people, queer people, trans people, non-binary people, people who don't fucking know, like mm-hmm. anyone else who is who is queer. Yeah. When they start to explore their sexuality, no matter what age it is, I almost feel like they're transported back to being 13. Yes. Yeah. And oftentimes I will hear 26-year-old, 29-year-old, 31-year-old, mm-hmm. literally every friend we have, they are oftentimes using language that I am reminded of hearing as young 13-year-olds mm-hmm. explore. Yeah. We're really comfortable with ex- exploration when people are in adolescence. Mm-hmm. We're comfortable with young girls coming home and saying, I think I like, and I did this one thing, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And then our language as listeners is to support that phase. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they turn 15 or 16 or 17, we stop supporting exploration. So yeah. And so to hear you talking, it doesn't seem crazy. It doesn't seem wild. It seems mm. completely normal to, to not have the language, to not have having never dated a woman before, mm-hmm. to like women in these sexual instances and men and go, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I don't know. That must be bisexual. Yeah. And then have a conversation with someone different. I just feel yeah. it's so normal. And I want us to normalize the fact that when we're exploring our sexuality, we're being forced to be a child again. Yes. You have to go back to that. It's like a second puberty, a 100%. mental puberty where you're going through it all again and understanding everything around you as well. Like you would have understood moving to a bigger city, it's like you have a whole new life to start again, mm. which is wonderful. But it's also really scary because I could easily just have sat in Brisbane and not ever explored any of this because there are, there is such a small queer community in Brisbane. It's a great community, but it's very, very small. Compared to Sydney, it is like yeah. completely different. I've actually just remembered I've just remembered you saying kissing a girl at a party. There actually was a time before that girl that I got oh, that, yes. I, that was that I think is another reason why I'm traumatized. Okay, tell us. We so I was in know. Amsterdam. Mm. <laughs> As all good stories begin. <laughs> I was 20 in Amsterdam. And this was my first time I'd tried to get with a girl. So I'd lost my friends. I don't know how we were. I don't even remember. Like, it's like very like Amsterdam to me. It's like a dream. I can't remember what's going on there. It's my favorite place. In the I was stoned the, the whole world. time. <laughs> <laughs> but I was at this, at this like very intense nightclub. And I was with this, I was with this drag queen all night having a very fun time. And then she introduced me to her friend. And I was with her friend. Mm. We were together for like hours and hours and hours, like getting drunk. And then while we're on the dance floor, for the first time ever, I was like, I'm going to kiss this girl. And I went to kiss her and she's like, what the f, f are you doing? Yeah, what the beep? <laughs> the beep are you doing? Like pushed me away, like physically pushed me away. We were like together all night and like, I think I was just probably really drunk and stoned and I feel bad that I encroached on her. Yeah. But it like, it really, really messed with my perception of, uh, my sexuality. Then, then it was not until two years later that I had, yeah, a year or so later that then that, that you just rem- I just forgot that even happened. That's great. Breaking said. news. Breaking Abby news. <laughs> remembers memory. You have to take all of those pieces together. That's why I always like to start back where you were from and what the environment was because yeah. we're laying down the framework for what confidence or lack of confidence you have to yeah. explore your sexuality. Yeah. What environment you have surrounded. Like having gunkles is wonderful, but did people refer to them as friends or were they actually allowed to be um, like real partners? Uh, having your first hookup, have someone push you away, like all of that is mm-hmm. the foundation of mm-hmm. you going, this isn't going to be easy. Yeah, and I think as well that push, I, I wish, I think if I had the language when I was in Amsterdam, I could have conversed with this girl before I tried to kiss her, but I was just like, mm. 
Frankenstone. Sure. And, you know, went went to went to kiss her, which probably was very inappropriate now in hindsight. Um, but I think I just wanted to have some sort of outlet and I felt like I'm in Amsterdam, like, and you know, and we've been together all night and like dancing. And I just it, it's so it's I'm actually really ashamed of it because I shouldn't have tried to kiss someone without consent, really. But um, I didn't have the language. I didn't yeah. have the environment growing up to say, like, and to understand how to talk to people who are about their, their queerness before I, like. Well, you're also bringing up something interesting that I never really think about, which is when you're a straight person living in this world, walking, usually mm. aimlessly, mm. the world is made for you in many mm. ways. All of the bars, all of the environments, the the likelihood that the person you're staring at would be would have the same sexuality as you mm. and therefore would be interested potentially in hooking up mm. with you is quite high. I mean, let's yeah. look at the data. It's yeah. a 90% likelihood mm. that if you're looking across the bar at a boy and you're a girl, mm. uh, that you two could potentially mm. hook up. Mm. When you are anything other than a cis heterosexual person, it is trickier. Of mm. course it's trickier. Yeah. It's, it, outside of a gay bar, that's why I think we flock to community and we flock to gay bars because yeah. it's the one opportunity we have as mm-hmm. queer people to feel that feeling. Mm-hmm. But out in the wild, it happens frequently. Like you are yeah. so not alone that I have been so certain that I was being, re- that the feelings were being reciprocated by a, by a man. Yeah. We connected a bar. We're talking. Four hours go by. He's bought me three drinks. Yep. He's basically flirting. You have beautiful hair. Yep. You're so funny. I've never met anyone. Thank you Hard so much. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, <laughs> but like the light, the, if any, in uh, any other situation, that would lead to a hookup. Yes. So I just don't, I mean, you're right. You want that consent, but also it's happened maybe four times in my life where I have, have gone there and had the guy be like, what the f- are you doing? Yeah. I'm straight. And you're like, but all of the... All the signs. If I was a girl, everything that just happened... Would be... We would have already passed. We would have gone there. <laughs> gone there. So don't be so hard like, on yourself. I, just, I think I, in hindsight, you know, saying it out loud, I'm like, yeah, wow, that probably was bad of me. But I think as well, the hard thing is, um, uh, it's happened to me in, in gay bars as well. I've gone to kiss a girl and they go, what are you doing? And I'm like, we're in a gay yeah, bar. Yeah, exactly. What like, was happening here? I'm straight, here? babe. And mm. it's like, you like, I... I I mean, obviously, I can't speak for everyone, but I think it's fine for straight girls to come to gay bars. But if someone tries to kiss you, don't be shocked and disgusted yeah. that that someone queer is trying to kiss you in a queer space. You're totally right. And straight men in those environments tend to be amazing. Mm. It's happened to me a lot mm. where you're in a gay bar j- jiving or even dancing with yeah. a guy. And he'll just be like, I'm actually here for my girlfriend. Like, sorry, mate. And yeah, you're like, sorry. oh, that's, well, thank you. Yeah, For you to turn on me in that environment would not go well for you. Yeah, no. Because my mob is... Yeah, yeah don't you. come for yeah, me. We're yeah, gonna come absolutely. For you. <laughs> but I find I find as well it's really hard for me. I've uh, to date people. You know, question my my sexuality because I haven't dated a woman. But I find it really difficult now because I can't. Every time this is just like a very me complaint. Yeah. But I'm just gonna vent it because Do we're it. in the space. Yeah. I cannot go on dating apps for women because all of them, unfortunately, my demographic of people who follow me and that are fans, they are basically the whole queer community in the age bracket that I want to date in, right? So yeah. I've obviously used to have my, you know, Tinder set to all genders. Yeah. And then anyone that wasn't a, he- a cishet man was like replying to me with like a personal joke from my content. Wow. And I just, I had to turn it off. because Yeah, like, that's too hard. I can't do it. And then I've gotten with girls in in bars before, like kiss them. And then I've been like, fine. And then my friends have been like, they just turned around and were like giggling to their friends. Like, oh, would that be Chatfield? Wow. So it's but guys weird. must do that too. No, men don't know who I am. They have 
no idea who I am. Not my straight friends. (laughs) (laughs) They know who you are. (laughs) But a lot of them don't. Like, it's it's rare. They'll go, oh, like, you were on a show, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're not like, because my following, I think, is like 91% um, women yeah. on my Instagram, the the little pie chart that you yeah, get, yeah. it's very very small. So I think men, I, I've had a, a straight man like when I was at a party with a guy that I was seeing. He's like, so what do you do for work? And then I have to have the awkward conversation. I'm sure you do this as well. And you're like, I'm in media, yeah. and you're just like a wanker. Yeah, exactly. You're like content creator. They're like, yeah. you're a f-ing influencer yeah. from television, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you make money yeah, on branded yeah, ads. Yeah. I'm like, yes. Well, I said I have a podcast. It's the easiest thing. I'm sure you probably do the same thing. Like, yeah. I have a podcast. Yeah. I mean, that's. And then he goes, he's like, that's a hobby, not a job. <gasps> You're like, you want to see my bank account? And I was like, and then thank God, the, the guy that I was with was like, mate, she literally earned last quarter more than you earned in a year. <laughs> Shut up. And I was like, thank you. But um, yeah, so men don't know who I hard. am. So it's hard. It's hard to find. Uh, and then I also find it difficult because the queer women that I befriend and kind of get into their circles, I have a crush on them for a bit. And then I just love their friendship so much and I want to sleep with them, but then I get worried that I'm going to hurt them. Then I'm going to be, yeah. I'm going to do what I did with that first girl and sleep with them and then be a complete, just be an emotionally unavailable dick. Mm. You know what I, I mean? I understand that. You know, I have close friends um, who I've, you know, had crushes on when I first met them, told them we've kissed. And then I'm like, I can just feel that I'm probably going to make you a little bit, a bit unwell from this because I know that I'm not ready for a fully committed relationship right now. And I know that our deep friendship might lead to that. I could be overthinking all of this. Yeah. But honestly, that's a part of the evolution. That's the part of the exploration, right? <laughs> I'm I, talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, what I want, what I was really interested in when getting an opportunity to talk to you is a lot of the people that we get the chance to hear their coming out story, they're in a very black and white phase of their journey. Um, I came out when I was 15 mm. and I'm still that thing. Mm. So I have had many opportunities to test, date, deal with homophobes, mm. gain confidence, go to therapy, but just through the lens of that one lineage, that mm. one line. Mm-hmm. But when you get an opportunity to see someone who unfortunately is in the public eye while exploring, mm. I think we need to go back to like that. That's harder because the average person like you who just has a nine to five job and is still working in real estate would mm. just explore this on their own time. On a Saturday night. Talk to their friends. Yeah. Hey, here's what I'm thinking. I haven't dated a girl yet, but here's the reasons why. Yeah. And they'd go, that's fine. Cool. Just yeah. wait, just wait. But you, everyone is waiting on hand and foot, ready to yeah. write an article about like who you're dating, where you're yeah. at and what the label is. Yeah. And that's that's really tricky. Yeah. And then I'll get the DMs, you know, like the biphobia thing, which I I... I was identifying as bi for a long time. I just, I just, I, it was just the fact that I felt like the bisexuality for me was so 50-50 and it just made me, I know that isn't the case. I know that isn't the reality, but I think it, people have to understand that you're right. When you're having articles written about you and you're having people DM you saying you haven't dated a woman, you aren't bisexual. That was what it was. It was the invalidation from other people being like, you're not queer. Mm. No, sorry, you're not part of the LGBTQIA plus community. You're not uh, bisexual because you haven't dated a woman. How can you say you're bisexual? And then it's just like, for me, it's just easy to be like, I'm queer because that can be the umbrella term to, that can encapsulate bisexuality if I, in the future, am comfortable using that. I think that's perfect. And honestly, we've had a couple people on the show say the same exact thing, which mm-hmm. is the beauty of queerness as a term and as a feeling is 
everybody, nobody. All I know is I'm not straight. Yes. What percentage that is, is actually none of your business. Yes. Like, there are humans, Courtney Act, who was on mm-hmm. the first episode of this season, who present as gay, the world thinks are gay, but has thoroughly enjoyed a select few of interactions with women. Mm-hmm. You don't get to decide that Courtney no. is not bisexual or pansexual no. or queer. That's mm-hmm. not that's not on you, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, you're, yeah. you're on that journey. They're on the journey. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it's really important for people listening, especially young people who are confused with their feelings. You don't have to come out at any time. You don't have mm-hmm. to tell anybody that you are one thing. If you have a feeling inside of you that says, I know I'm not X, mm-hmm. queerness is a beautiful term that that a lot of people can understand and should alleviate some of the stress. Yeah, and it has. Good. I think I, I felt, I kind of felt like a fraud or an imposter saying that I was bisexual. But when I said that for the first time, it was on Clementine Ford's podcast. Yeah. And I was like, I've slept with women and I'm a, tra- I don't know if this was in the podcast, if it was just having wines afterwards or before. But I remember sitting here in the living room and being like, I've slept with women and I'm attracted to women, but I never dated one, so I can't be bisexual. And she was like, no, that no, it's about attraction. Yeah. And I was like, what, mother feminist? Yes. <laughs> and me, this is like, I think three or four months after The Bachelor, so I was still very much like new to all this and I was just so excited to be in Clementine Ford's presence. I, I mean, who always am be? still. Who be? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, you know, she really helped me be like, it's okay to say that. Mm. Then I said it and then I started to get, no, I don't say backlash, but it was just people saying that I wasn't queer enough and then I just felt like I wasn't and then I just kept, you know, as well, it's so funny. People say to me, like, you only date men. And in the past two years, you've only dated men. I'm like, I haven't dated anyone. Like, mm. I haven't had, I'm like known for being single. You don't know who I'm getting with on the weekends. Exactly. At at these at these queer bars that I'm going to. You don't know who I'm talking to. You don't have feelings for. It's just that I don't publicly date anyone, but you're assuming that it's men. Yeah. Um, because as well, I have an issue in my podcast as well where someone, and this was a fair criticism, they said that I only speak about relationships in terms of, he or when men do this. Oh, okay. And that's because I'm talking about specific specific people. Yeah, yeah. But I'm veiling it as people in general. Sure. So I'm trying to, right? Yeah. So I think I need to work harder on that. But as well, it's 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 hard for me to change my language. I'm thinking about one particular person sure. who treated me like. And that's your lived who, experience, right? You know. Like you don't have that experience. Yeah. To, I, I don't know how to speak about relationships involving women. I also Mm. only have stereotypical assessments of what that relationship would look like because I've never experienced it before. Yeah, I think it's really valid and an important thing to bring up specifically because, and this might get me some slack, but it's just true. The queer community, we're we're hard on each other. We Mm. really are. And it's because we had a lifetime of people being hard on us, Mm -hmm. right? Of saying we're different, ostracizing us, saying we don't fit into the box. And so when we finally feel that we have our own community, sometimes we recreate that same uh, playground Mm -hmm. cliques and groups. Mm -hmm. And what happens oftentimes is gay and lesbian people struggle with bisexuals. Yeah. Are you on your gateway? Is this just your uh, your little <laughs> pit you stop on your way yes. to Gayville? Yeah. And it's because for so many of us, that was our story. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is we're projecting onto you mm. that that wasn't our truth. We struggled with it. I really regret personally being bisexual because mm-hmm. I was sleeping with women knowing I didn't like them mm-hmm. and using them. And yeah. I've apologized and we've done all that, but I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of gay men <clears throat> and a lot of gay women who had that same story. And so mm-hmm. when you see someone who says they're bisexual, your immediate thought is liar. 
Yeah. Your immediate thought is, especially if someone's in the media like you, why are you doing, why are you using that label? Because there are actually real bisexuals. It's like hard to win. Yeah. But it does remind me that, and I wanted to just say this, when a 13-year-old says they're straight or gay, they know that with confidence without ever having sex. Yeah. You don't need proof, bitch. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> How do you know you're gay, Sean? You haven't slept with a woman yet. Yeah. What are you talking about? How do you know you're straight, Alan? Because you get a boner when you think of a hot girl. You look at Megan Fox or whatever and you get aroused. Like, it's a thought process. It's an energy. Yeah. And so to challenge that you couldn't be bisexual or queer because you haven't dated a woman mm. is is right here, right now. I mean, bullshit. It is yeah. complete and utter bullshit. Yeah. And, they, and everyone saying this knows it. Because they didn't need that information or experience to validate their sexuality, did no, they? No, they didn't. No. And I think as well that I've, uh, there's a whole idea that if men are bisexual, they're actually gay. If women are bisexual, they're actually straight. Mm. And that obviously comes from the idea that men are always centered from patriarchal ideals, that, that men are always the end goal. Yep. So if you're as a bisexual, you're only doing it for attention, you're only doing it to have some sort of fun experiences. But uh, I think as well, watching The Bachelorette this season has made me realise how much... Mm. Beautiful. A gift. Well, a gift. Yeah. To, to the queers. It's made me realise how much I... So again, because I haven't had that experience of a relationship with a, with a woman, I kind of have been like, oh, am I, would I, you know, do I actually want a relationship with a woman? Am I, you know, bisexual but heteroromantic when we start to divide sexuality and, yeah. and romantic ideas? Um but watching The Bachelorette, I've just it's it's changed the way that I've seen that and made me realize that I I probably do I hope that I can date a woman, but again, it's hard for me to meet them. Mm. It's hard for me to meet queer women that aren't fans. I know that sounds really wanky, but it's it's literally just about population size yeah. and people knowing who I am, mm. and it's just exhausting. You know Sophie Caccio, right? I don't have met her, but, but uh, like, uh, yes, oh, that no, she exists. Yes. She describes herself as romantically lesbian sexually bisexual. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I had ever heard someone separate the two things. We also had an asexual on the show and they said it's really important for people to understand that sexual attraction and romantic attraction are two very separate very things. things. My husband, who has also been on the show, is sexually attracted to men and women, mm -hmm. but married to me and romantically interested in men. Mm -hmm. Whether you like it or not, random person listening, like mm -hmm. that's not up for you to decide. There are a lot of people, potentially you, mm -hmm. who are sexually attracted to women, but might not ever be capable or even ever want to explore mm -hmm. romantically dating one. Yeah. That actually does not take your title away. You don't get to not yeah, be good, bisexual or pansexual <laughs> or queer. Like, end the podcast, she's straight. Yep. Your gay card <laughs> is revoked. <laughs> But I think it's an important part of the process because you said on your podcast once and it was a beautiful moment, like you're having sex with a girl and you start to question, am I really into girls? Mm. It has happened many a times through many of the guests on this show's experience that they're sexually exploring mm. and having that not feel as beautiful or as uh, equal to their romantic exploration. Mm -hmm. And that can 
that's hard on your own to explore that, mm-hmm. let alone having the press drag you for it. Yes. Yeah, it is exhausting. Well, um, I actually interviewed some asexuals recently and they told me how sexual attraction, romantic attraction have different brain chemical, like different reactions in the brain, the chemistry. I was sitting there like, I don't understand any yeah. of this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting that you can, that you can divide the two. Um, and I'm dating, I am dating a man again now. I have a question mark boyfriend. We're not really sure about it though. Okay. We're working through it. They're working we'll through it. Out. It's very. This soon. is a soft launch. <laughs> it is. It's a pretty soft launch. Um, uh, pretty healthily obsessed. Great. But I was thinking that literally this morning I went for a run, and I was like, "What if I never date a woman?" And I got quite sad about it because this this man is wonderful and he's great, and I really really like him. But I'm thinking, like, what if I never did a woman? Does that invalidate my sexuality? And also, will I never be truly satisfied and truly happy without having that experience, without having that understanding? Uh, I don't know. I feel like there's maybe, again, maybe I'm just imagining what it's like to be in a, a lesbian relationship, but I imagine there's a much deeper closeness and uh, sense of safety. Mm. And I don't – I. I did have a little panic on my run this morning. I was like, sure. what if this is it? Oh, no. <laughs> I, how much of that is like what other people think versus how it feels inside your body? Good question. I think it's probably like half-half. Mm. I think a lot of it is to do, I think my whole, as you know, being public eye, your whole, almost your whole life is determined and criticized by people in one way or another. You can never, ever get it right. And I get worried that if I'm, if I have a boyfriend, it's then like, see, See, she's straight. See? And I imagine that's something that Brooke thought on The Bachelorette, right? So if she chooses a man, I'm sure it's going to be, see, she's yep, just straight. Yep. If she's a woman, it's going to be like, she's a lesbian. Like, it's as though that one person that she wants to be with is the determinant of her entire sexuality. It's about exactly. the fact she's an adult woman who has been dating for a very long time. Yeah. I think it's to do with, I think it's everything combined. I think a big part of it is internal being like, I, I, I don't think I'm doing myself justice. Um, and I think as well, like I was saying to you, it's very safe for me to date men because it's very easy for me to put a wall up. Yeah. So I'm, I need to work through this in therapy, I think, you know, but this is a form of therapy. This is a form of therapy. It's and beautiful. it's also like, I had to just fight back tears unexpectedly, mm. which I did not think was mm. going to happen in this conversation. Because I'm reminded how your journey to self-discovery, like how many hurdles you have to jump over just to get to a place where you feel comfortable Mm. and how all of those hurdles are other people's like strange mirrors and Mm judgments and understanding of what it means to be true when the reality is the beautiful part about being a human is getting closer and closer to a relationship of just loving yourself and realizing mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what anyone thinks. No, if you're with a man forever, it does not invalidate the fact that you enjoyed, even if it was one sexual interaction mm-hmm. with one woman when you were 13 years old. Mm-hmm. No one gets to take that away from you. No one gets to add or subtract a label. The queer community cannot decide publicly, Abby Chatfield only slept with one woman and therefore she doesn't have the title. If Mm. you know inside that that is who you are, then that is who you are. Mm -hmm. And if you evolve and change over time and you want to change those labels, like it it really, truly does not matter. Yeah, I'll what get a change. Thinks. I'll go to the um, service, New South Wales. I'll say my card needs changing. Go to Thank Stonewall you. and they'll just quickly, to- they have a little <laughs> printer and they'll delete well, actually, it. At Stonewall is where I was having a conversation with my friend Rowdy. Um, and he's the one that said, baby, just queer. Mm. So Stonewall actually is the place where I got my new label. There you go. Isn't that why he's like queer queen? Mm. Um, 
but even that, I remember Rowdy uploaded a photo of me and his stories after we did that. We'd, uh, we'd gone to some um, some protests together, then we'd had some lunch in the afternoon, then we'd gone to Stonewall and we're talking about, you know, my sexuality and everything. And he's just so, such a beautiful, beautiful friend of mine. And uh, he said, baby, you don't have to be bisexual. You can just be queer. Like mm. it's okay to be queer. So we had that lovely night and he uploaded a photo of me to his stories and captioned it queer queen. And then he got a DM from someone saying, it's not up to you to determine who is the queen of the queers. Oh, goodness. Like, and he was like, I said that she's just yeah. a queen who is queer, not that she's the queen of the queers. And she's, like, she's bisexual. She dates men. She's not queer enough to be the queen of the queers. It's like, it's always yeah. the queen of the queers. And so that's his title within Sydney. Sure. Like, it's. <laughs> you know what's so funny? Like, I, I've been trying to wrap my head around it in preparation for this because I observe the challenge that you've experienced. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've witnessed firsthand, specifically you, specifically Brooke, specifically Kath Ebbs, like specifically, mm-hmm. in this case, people, women who live their life online, who are exploring or are quite confident in their understanding of their attraction to multiple genders. And I get to witness the queer community and the straight community, both communities struggling mm-hmm. with people uh, straddling teams of either gender or mm-hmm. sexuality. And I and I keep wrapping my head around why. Like, I can understand a man just wanting to know, like, does she like men or women? Because yeah. if I'm going to date her, I want to understand. But like, why do queer people struggle so much? And I, the only thing I can think is for so many of us, the queer experience is really, is hard. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to get to a place where you can be yourself. It's mm-hmm. so hard to have people pointing fingers and your family disowning you. Like mm-hmm. that's so much of the lived experience for queer people is fighting to just be equal mm-hmm. to their heterosexual partners. Yeah. So to have someone exploring that um, in front of you with confidence, with class, with humor like you do, um, and get to live this fun life, I just imagine for some people who are really hurt inside mm. who haven't worked through their own internalized homophobia, their own difficult struggle to acceptance. They look at anyone on that journey of exploration and they're like, tear her down. Yeah, She needs to figure it out. She needs proof. Mm. We need to know for certain. Yes. <laughs> and it's so sad. It, it yeah. feels like that to I me. Think, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's been so much pain within the queer community. And I am very, I'm very lucky, I guess, that I've explored it once I've already been an adult in public eye. I haven't had this turmoil of being a teen that has been, you know, the the gay girl at school and then, you know, which a lot of my friends have been. And mm. I've also, I'm also cis, so I haven't had that experience of being trans or having to come to terms with my gender. So I understand that I probably have a much, much easier understanding. I have inner turmoil, but I have not had that experience of being uh outwardly discriminated against because the industry that I'm in is so welcoming to all of that. Mm. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not a tradie with, you know, uh, people saying homophobic slurs to me on, on, you know what I mean? It's Mm. not, it's not that. So I understand that. I think as well, there's the issue of queer baiting people in the public eye. Like you were saying, if I was not, if I was working in property still, no one would question if I was queer because in an everyday life, you don't benefit at all from being seen as queer particularly in Disneyland. You, yeah. yeah, right? So that's not a positive thing. So no one would question if you actually are queer. Yeah. I think the public eye 
people, I think, both in the straight and queer community probably see it as beneficial to certain people's careers and see it as queer. And like Billie Eilish uh, got a lot of heat for queer baiting. And I think that's something that I struggle with because I internally say, oh, my God, should I just not talk about this because I'm not fully committed to a label yeah. Yeah. So even I struggle with that, but I think as well it's the fact that it feel it can feel exploitative because I haven't been through this this awful awful experience of being really profiled and really discriminated against um and when I've come out it's been into open arms with my career and also with the public. Mm. So I think maybe that's what it is and I wish that I could change I wish I could change it so people didn't have to go through that awful time in their lives uh but I I also don't think it would be doing anyone any favors me not saying anything about it well cuz I my my kind of last series of questions are around there are a lot of young people a mm. lot and it's more and more prevalent because more and more people feel safe to mm. explore their sexuality but for many people who aren't sure but they know they were having fun, mm. right? Just that, just fun, just mm. exploration, just hooking up and exploring their sexuality and enjoying moments. What would you say to them? Should they speak up? Should they say how they're feeling to people? Is that something oh. that you would like people to do more of or is it dangerous? I think, I mean, obviously it, it is dangerous, but I, I think it depends what environment you're in, right? Like I think if if you have if you have good friends, you can find a good community. This is a good good thing about Instagram and about podcasts like yours and about online communities is that you can have the experience of understanding from other people by yourself in your room. Yeah. Right? Like I think it's so wonderful that young people can put on this podcast, listen to you and feel seen and feel heard without having to risk, um, you know, discrimination or ostracization or, yes. or being kicked out of their family. And obviously there is such a risk in speaking about sexuality in certain environments, certain family environments, certain school environments, certain church environments. Um, but if you have the capacity to speak to someone that you feel is safe, then then absolutely do that. I think if you're feeling alone, again, this is also me thinking about when I was younger, um, listening to queer women on podcasts and how important that was to me. And I know that sounds like a bit of a wank because we're sitting, I'm like, listen to podcasts more <laughs> often on repeat. Um <laughs> But I think there's something really personal about it. And I think it helped me understand my sexuality, not even just in terms of queerness, but in terms of kinks and in terms of confidence. People ask me where my confidence comes from, and it's from podcasting. Mm. So I think if you have the capacity to speak to people about it, absolutely, because chances are someone else in your life probably is also going through something similar. Yeah whether it's in terms of gender or sexuality or something completely different. They're questioning a different part of their life. Mm. But I think in terms of selfishly understanding, listening and finding communities online and making sure that who you are following and who you are interacting with is a positive influence that can understand you and you feel seen by, mm. I think that's more important selfishly. Absolutely. And I also think what's powerful about this time in human history is in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up, uh, the only way to explore sexuality was around other people as mm -hmm. far as media consumption. Mm -hmm. So like the only way that I ever got to see gay people uh, was on television mm -hmm. and that required the television to be on. And there was only one of them and mm -hmm. it was in the living room. Mm -hmm. And so to watch the real world in the States or Will and Grace meant that I had to explore my comfort around my family. Mm -hmm. Podcasts slip it right into your earlobes and you're alone. No one could know. You could be listening to music. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that's really powerful. And also mm -hmm. young kids get to grow up 
watching YouTube videos at home or or getting books onto their devices that mm-hmm. they don't have to go physically pick mm-hmm. up. Exactly. I think as well, there's a lot of pressure for not just the queer community, but for people in general to speak up about what they believe. And why I think that's, I think that's so important. Obviously, I don't shut up and you don't shut up. No. <laughs> we have and a I podcast <laughs> and we will not. But we're certain types of people. And I think there's a lot of pressure on people saying you have to speak about this X, Y, Z, and you must speak about it. But some people are risking safety and also friendships and their family. And I think the first thing you need to do is to to be able to consume media before there's any pressure. If you feel like you have to talk about being queer on your Instagram because you feel like you see me doing it or see Sean doing it and you're like, I have to be part of this and it'll help other people, that is a quite a selfish thought and I love that. And if you, if you can do it, do it. Mm. But take care of yourself first, mm. you know? You don't have to. You're right. No. And I think there's a lot of... Pre- we're living through a movement movement where everyone mm-hmm. feels they have to kind of be involved in each of mm-hmm. the movements, but your safety mm-hmm. is actually at risk yeah. in some situations. Not even just physical, your emotional safety, your mental safety, and and your even just your sense of safety. Nothing may change, but you may feel exposed and vulnerable from talking about it in mm. public. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing, but your mental well-being and your sense of your peace of mind is not worth you know you talk about it on your Instagram or your TikTok yeah. that's great but don't feel the pressure to so when you remove pressure and you remove um trolling and people questioning your sexuality mm-hmm. when do you feel um most at peace most euphoric with being a queer person is it certain groups of people is what is it yeah i think my new my new queer my new queer friends <laughs> my new these Everyone that I've met uh, in the last two years has just been so monumental in understanding myself and feeling safe in myself. Kath Ebbs is someone who I'm very, very close with, and they are just such a wonderful person. And we've had a lot of one of our first something we met we went for a four hour walk together. Like she's just wonderful, and I'm slowly getting more into those spaces. But also on the dance floor at Universal. Yes, good answer. <laughs> Pashing everyone. Not going to say what else I'm doing there, but lots of fun stuff. Yes. Well, most of the conversation, you know, unfortunately or fortunately as an educational tool Mm. has been about people questioning you Mm. and invalidating your Mm. experience. And so I think it's important for young people who are experiencing it. And and to be honest, it's a lot of people, specifically, Mm. specifically bisexual and pansexual Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. and queer people. We still are, we're comfortable with queerness. We just want to understand what what box you fit in, please. Yeah. And so if you're struggling, if you're listening, and if you're hearing Abby's story and going, well, shit, like this is what I'm getting from all my friends and people are questioning and they want me, they're waiting for me to know more, but I just don't. Mm-hmm. I think if you can surround yourself by beautiful queer people, if you can mm-hmm. find that online, if you can dance your ass off, yes. if you can find those spaces where you get to feel good about yourself, chasing that feeling is yeah. the human experience. Yeah. I mean, the feeling, I know I was kind of joking about Universal, but honestly, the feeling of being in gay bars in Sydney, I didn't really go to them in Brisbane, like I was saying before, but it's such a liberating and safe space and ridiculously fun as well. And it's nice to not not just have those very serious in-depth conversations, which are wonderful yeah. with queer friends, but also having fun with people who are within your, I guess, your community and, and people that you can feel safe around and, and not feel like you're going to be judged or or potentially hurt in that environment, you know, that is very liberating in itself, having fun. Because I think we speak a lot about, like, 
uh, or I've experienced in your life, I, you know, your queer friends and your queer community and a little bubble that you have and it's wonderful and you can have these in-depth conversations. But also we want to have fun yeah. with people and have this experience that's like lighthearted with it because it isn't all doom and gloom. You're you know? right. Absolutely. 155%. When I'm actually reading Courtney Act's book right now, Caught in the Act, and, yes. and like the second act, uh, he writes about that feeling of being in an environment, not with everyone who's like you. That's not it. It's mm-hmm. not like every single person is a homosexual in those environments, no. but there's this freedom mm-hmm. this that it can't be experienced in a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because there's some drugs around and yeah. maybe it's the heavy <laughs> drinking what? and maybe it's the perfect music. But when it all comes together, this- Britney Spears Toxic is playing. It's all together. It's an environment. <laughs> it's an energy. And so that's why I often say to queer people who are in small towns like I was, you don't have to leave that town to be happy but if you can get an opportunity to get to find spaces where you can be surrounded by a bunch of other people who are mm-hmm. accepting, that is what it means to go to a gay bar. It doesn't mean everyone's gay. It means the moment you walk in there, anything goes. Yeah, absolutely. When you look into the future when it, through the lens of sexuality, mm-hmm. do you see the world becoming a better place? How are you feeling? Oh, I think so. Good. I think it's become a better place in the last five years and then five years before that, don't you? I think there's Absolutely. with TikTok, the amount of information. I mean, I learn every day from these Gen Zs on yes. TikTok. I learn mm. so much from them. And I think um, the amount of information that's out there and the amount of community being being expanded online is just, is just life-changing as well. I mean, Brooke being the Bachelorette, that is... Like, if, you know, when it came out, we were all like, oh, my God, yes, it's going to be amazing. But seeing it in real time on primetime TV, dating women, it's just, it's changing the country and the world. And I think there's going to be huge changes. I'm excited for Australia because it seems like there's a lot of up-and-coming talent who happen to be queer, who Absolutely. just so happen to be queer. Obviously, yeah. the entertainment industry has always been filled with queer people mm-hmm. of all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. But it's becoming more prominent, more exciting, more accessible. And mm-hmm. I think... It's not just because they want to tick the box. There's also just a lot of young people who just happened to grow up in a time where they felt accepted. Mm-hmm. And so the, they're coming to the table with confidence. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, someone like me would have gone into auditions and, and butched it up and, you know, like, here I am, Sean. Yeah. You know, we don't have to do that anymore. No. And so showing up as yourself means, yeah. you know, more production teams are mm-hmm. getting to see authentic people and authenticity is what we want in front Absolutely. of the camera. But I also think people like you, people like Brooke, um, getting to share their journey shows other young queer people that if there's a thought in the back of your head, if you've always kind of looked across the table and seen cute girls, mm-hmm. or you've always had a crush on your best friend or vice versa with boys, that a big part of the future is us ripping down this, this mm-hmm. black and white binary. Yeah. It doesn't mean you need to be anything, but mm-hmm. if it feels right for you, explore it. Absolutely. That's beautiful, Sean. That's where we're going to end it here. Thank you for being so authentic and sharing your story with me. Thanks for having me. That was like therapy. That is what I like to hear. Beautiful, (laughs) Sean. Love that you talked to you properly. I love (laughs) you. Okay, we did it. How are you guys? How are you feeling? I know that this episode could have brought up some interesting feelings for some of you. And if it did, there are some resources that I think you should check out. So Minus 18 is the first one. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have a bunch of great resources online. They hold wonderful events. And they also offer trainings for classroom and workplaces around sexuality, gender, and creating a safe space for LGBTQIA plus people. They're also all over social. Uh, you can follow them at minus one eight youth and you spell out one eight 
and their website is minus18.org.au. But they are not a helpline. So if you're looking for support in that way, you can call QLife. They're at 1-800-184-527. They offer a free phone service every day from 3 p.m. to midnight. Um, So if you want to talk to someone about your gender, your sexuality, your identity, relationships, any feelings, that's a perfect place. But if you're feeling really anxious and you're not up to talking on the phone, that's fine. They do have a web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. So their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can follow us on Instagram at Kawa Podcast. That's C-O-W-Y-A Podcast. You can also follow me. Uh, my handle is at Sean Zepps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is a community. And I want as many people within this community, the LGBTQIA plus people, allies, friends, curious folks, I want everyone to have access to this powerful network of people. And the best way for that to happen is for you to share. So if you like this, you can share a link in your group chat, text message, put it on your Instagram story, a little swipe up link, do whatever you want to help get the message out there. out wherever you are is presented by me and me alone no one helped me in the creation of the show i'm kidding (laughs) my name is sean zepps but there are three wonderful people that we need to shout out Um, my producer my number one Lindsay green our executive producer jennifer goggin and our audio producer is darcy thompson listener